Welcome to the Inspiro Podcast, a podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future. Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems, whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're going to be exploring a lot of topics, and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice. You said the word, and this was on my list. I did. I wrote some notes down for things I want to talk about today. And so one of those for this topic is authenticity. Uh, it's become kind of a buzzword in some ways. And I think there is some confusion about what being authentic means, where uh, I'll be, I'll put myself in this category. When I first latched on to the idea of being more authentic, I thought, oh, this is great. I can just be myself. And that's being promoted now. And I was in a mode of really learning a lot about critical thinking. And so I was particularly critical of others' thinking. And that, while that might have been authentic, it wasn't kind. It wasn't necessarily clear. And so as I dug into the idea of being authentic, I came across a lecture by a guy from Portland that he really dives into authenticity. And one of the things that really rang true for me was that it is a method of forthright speech. So it's being clear, direct, sincere, and kind. And I really liked that further definition of how we can try to bring authenticity to a conversation for ourselves, even in an instance where it may be disagreeable. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a wonderful definition. I'm going to go a little bit communication geek on you here. Good. Go back up into the theory. There are three parts to communication, to every communication. Number one is we're communicating data. There is some content. If I said, Jason, open the window, you would recognize there's a window. 
Bill wants it opened. Okay, just, just the content. That's actually the simplest part. But the other thing that's being communicated is a relationship that I believe I can ask you to open the window. And that if you open the window, then you are consenting to my request. And that, that forms a certain relationship. I mean, you could say, Bill, open it yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you could ignore me. You could say, this guy's a stranger. I don't know. Again, when we participate in communication, it builds a relationship. And so a lot of a lot of my clients come in and they said, well, yeah, but I just told my wife this and that's just true. And I said, well, it's true in the data sense. It's also expressing a relationship. Was that the relationship you also wanted to express? Mm -hmm. so you think, ideally, we've got both things going. It's not just true data. It's authentic and true relationship. I'm also speaking to you like I want to have a certain kind of relationship with you. So it's clear to you. So you can participate or not, or, or assess the situation. There's also a third, which is metacommunication. Uh, metacommunication is, is, is the, the experts in our culture of metacommunication are like stand-up comedians. Mm. A joke is knowing when to take it seriously and when it's not serious. Um, you know, one of my, one of my favorites is is the Groucho Marx line, um, "What time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana." Hmm. I mean, what he did is is all of a sudden he just changed the context. Those are two perfectly reasonable sentences. They're grammatically correct. The data is there. The relationships even there, but he does something tricky with how we understand those sentences and it makes it funny that's mm -hmm. that meta communication piece is communicate communicating how you should take what i just said and so to me real authenticity is when all three of those line up hmm. here's the data and it's true here's the relationship i'm offering and that's true i really am offering that relationship and the meta communication also is recognizable for its authenticity that I'm, I'm not, I'm not hiding anything. Okay. Uh, so that instead of giving data and then relationship, and then by meta communication, somehow communicating, you should not take that seriously, or I don't really mean it. Okay. That scrambles the whole thing. And now we're way off authenticity. But if all three line up, I think that's that's a that's sort of a technical way to talk about authentic communication. And that that sounds to me like it's making the assumption that we have two people with similar goals from this communication. Uh, let's call it a conversation that's happening, and. That, this is another item I had written down, is how clear do we need to be with ourselves about what our goal is in a conversation with somebody? So the example you just gave talked about three different areas. And I could think of situations where 
the relationship part is less important to me in a conversation with some people versus others. And so I'm not going to work as hard to try to improve the way I'm communicating to help that. And so in those instances, my goal in the conversation is simply to try to get my idea into that person's head and understand their idea in my head. And so I wonder if we should try, we should be trying in a conversation to have this feedback loop with ourselves about what is my goal in this conversation? Sure, sure. And one of those sort of important, that vital background tasks of a leader, uh, particularly in a small organization like a dental team, is to be keeping track of your goals when you're communicating. What am I really trying to do here? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's hard uh, to, to know that in a morning huddle, what is my goal? Uh, after work, I want to have a quick team meeting. What is my goal? A lot of people have a fuzzy goal. I just want to talk about, it's like, no, no, that's fine for the team. The leader needs to know, and the purpose of this talk is going to be, mm-hmm. what am I looking for? Now, not hard and fast, like I won't accept anything else, but you are, you are inviting other people to do the hard work of communication. And it really helps if, if, if you know a productive goal that's going to come out of it. That can be sort of amorphous, like we are going to explore what happened when our two o'clock patient showed up. Fine. And we, I don't have to know the answer to that. It, it can be data gathering, but I know I'm, da- I'm gathering data. And I communicate to them, this is why we're meeting after work. We need to find out what went on. Uh, I also need to find out how you felt about what went on, how that affected the team. And we need to wrap that up into how does that compare to our vision? Does it fit, not fit? Uh, now, again, you don't have to know all the answers. That's not what I'm saying. But you have to know what you're trying to accomplish good leaders communicate that. And so teams don't have to sit around guessing, which takes up bandwidth and also can lead to people being, you know, he he keeps calling us in for meetings and we don't really accomplish anything. Not the sort of thing you want to hear. So with this most recent stuff we just covered, I feel like it would be a good tangent to say, We've really just talked about maybe maybe three, maybe all four parts of emotional intelligence training. So in order to run through your three items of communication, we need self-awareness. When we are approaching our team, we need to have awareness of others. Uh, we need to be able to have some self-management in our process, depending upon what the topic is and if it is especially a more difficult topic. And then we have to be able to navigate these relationships in a, in a way that hopefully moves us forward in a positive direction through the way that we're communicating 
a big piece of that is making sure we are in touch with how the office team is doing. So empathy. So how does empathy fit in communication in your world? Empathy is the ability and some of its actual neurological ability, some of its intentional skill level ability uh, to really listen to and build in my head the image that the other person has got in theirs. They're trying to make that happen. Maybe skillfully, maybe not so skillfully. I, I allow it to be built in my head and that's that's that empathy. And I allow a fairly rich image to be built in my head. It's, it's a bit of what I do for a living is I listen and I try to build as rich an image in my head. I, 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 leave, I leave my head open for them to put images in so that I can hold as much of their image as they will give me, sometimes even if it doesn't exactly fit together or make sense. So how does our understanding of an appreciation for the other person's subjective experience relate to this. And so what I'm getting at here is if you have what you perceive as a traumatic experience and you tell me about it and I say, well, that doesn't sound traumatic at all. Well, now, now we're, we're like this. Yes. So even though I might not have the understanding or the capacity to fully empathize or, or understand your feelings of trauma from a conversation or an event, um, I still need to be able to accept that you have those. And as a leader, as an owner and leader of a dental practice, I feel like it's my obligation to be able to do that with my team. And that is really hard. It's really hard for those of us that don't have uh, more advanced feelings <laughs> to, to harness. You know, I always say that one of the main skills and sort of hidden skills, not talked about skills with, for a leader is to be able to be open to those feelings without numbing yourself. Mm -hmm. um, often I walk into a, a practice and they say, oh yeah, we communicate all the time. And I said, well, you kind of do and you kind of don't. Everybody's talking, but everybody's also guarded against everybody else's information and everybody else's feelings. Well, if, if, if you're too guarded, then you're really not building an image in their head. Where I see this very specifically, um, it's when I used to do a lot of couple counseling. And the biggest problem in living as a couple is negotiating priorities. Most folks knew what the other person wanted. I mean, that's, that's pretty easy to communicate. But then, well, how important is this to them? How important is it to me? How important is it to us? And how do we negotiate that? That requires being able to accept that the other person is also telling you about their anger or their fear or their distress. Because on a very practical level, if I don't have that information, I have no way 
to prioritize it. Can you phrase that different? Sure. If um, <laughs> I always tell the story that if, if my wife tells me that she'd really like for me to take out the garbage. Well, if I'm in the middle of a movie, I'm probably just going to, you know, finish the movie or I just might do it tomorrow morning on my way out the door or whatever. But if my wife tells me that she's really bothered by the garbage that is smelling in the kitchen and it needs to be gone, then I'm going to, I'm going to hit pause on the movie and I'm going to go grab the, the garbage. I'm going to take it out. Now, it's not that I'm lazy in one example or I'm a great husband in another example. It's I just understood the priority because, you know, I was open to hearing her distress over the garbage being in the kitchen. I don't get necessarily distressed, but I'm, I'm hearing hers. It becomes part of the image that I'm building in my head of what her world is, is like in her head. And it includes distress, or it includes the fact she's got a much more sensitive nose than I do. So it's like, I don't care. But, but you know, she cares. And she cares because of this. And this experience she's telling me about is, is, a, is a bad experience for her. Now I know how to prioritize it. Without that data, well, it's just garbage. It's just in the kitchen. I mean, it can go out anytime. So I like that example, but I want to try and poke a hole in it. Okay. Please. You had to interpret priority based on tone and words used. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to suggest that that leaves it open to error still. So if I were to try to, um, if I were to try to improve that even further and give somebody some advice, I would say, rather than increasing your tone or your volume to express importance, simply say, this is really important. Can you please take the trash out now? Exactly. So, and a good idea. Okay. Though it's really important. Again, now we get to richness. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to find a, a more compelling word than important if you really want it to happen. Mm-hmm. Let's move this into a dental context with a yeah. leader. One of the things that great leaders in dental practices do, and it and it seems to come pretty natural to them, though I think they, they must have unpracticed it, is when they are making a request of the team, particularly if it's a change and it's going to require some work, they make sure to connect it to the mission and the vision of the practice. That helps prioritize it for the team. I'd like you to do that this way is like, what? Okay. Yeah, I guess. But I want you to do it this way because patient service is very important in our mission. And we have an integrity piece in our practice. That means that we are going to deliver what we say we're delivering and be very trustworthy here. Okay. Now the team has got that sense of priority doesn't always have to be feelings as in screaming, yelling feelings. It can be that connecting up to these things that are meaningful to us. Here's how that action that I'm requesting connects to these meaningful pieces that we've already messed with. We already believe is meaningful to us. To us. It's a lot easier to get cooperation at 
the sort of right priority level with that. Yeah, I think the key word there is meaning. We are meaning-making creatures. So the more that your team can find meaning in their daily jobs, no matter how meaningless somebody else might perceive them, the the better they're going to do, the more fulfilled they're going to be, the more happiness, the more joy. Uh, you know, there's a classic story about the the brick layers, or maybe it's the stonemasons, because it was a long time ago. And one guy is carving stone all day. The other guy is loving it and whistling. And he's like, why are you so happy? He's like, well, I'm constructing a cathedral. And so one has meaning and one doesn't, but they're both doing the same thing. And so the more that we can... Uh, help others to find meaning in the things that they do. You already said it. It it is hugely impactful in everything we do every day. You know, they've there've been a lot, I mean hundreds of studies to try to find out why people either like or don't like their jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's curious to me that there are two questions that over and over seem to score the highest being the most impactful. Number one, do you get to do what you're good at? Nobody likes doing something they're bad at and having to do that all day, but to do something you're good at, there's just a sense of flow and pride and how they're doing it. But the other one is, do you think what you do contributes anything important? There's a difference between I clean teeth all day to I help patients have better dental health, to I help patients have better lives and health, or I'm building this practice in this community so this community has better health. I mean, all of a sudden, this is getting more and more like building a cathedral Mm -hmm. and less about just chopping off a piece of stone. And we even have studies that show that people react to that. And that's what we're, that's what we're going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, work is, is hard and sometimes it's unpleasant and sometimes there are bad feelings. What gets us through that is, oh, tomorrow I'm going to have the opportunity to do what I'm good at. And this is important enough to go through this bad moment for. Mm-hmm. If you're building a cathedral, yeah, maybe it's worth cutting your hand a couple times, you know, to get this cathedral built. If, if, I'm, if I'm just building an outhouse in the back, that's not worth cutting my hand at all. Oops, that's the end of the episode. You'll have to tune in next time for the continued conversation between me and Bill about communication. We're going to start to learn about how communication goes bad. Focus on that for a bit. And keep it rolling from there. Until next time, see ya.